starting a new series called Home, and I'm so excited because my beautiful wife is going to co-preach this with me, and I was able to wrangle her to do that, so uh, she's going to come up, and we're going to do this together, so... So, I got her a stool. It's a little tall. Her feet. <laughs> Josiah was, yeah, Josiah was teasing her that her feet aren't going to touch the ground. So, uh, oh, it's over here. Thank you. All right. So the reason we're doing this every year, we do a series on home and family and relationships, and we're doing this on purpose this year at this time because uh, how many know COVID has affected every part of our lives. Everything is different, and uh, I was talking to a, a doctor in town, actually, and he says, it seems like COVID magnified whatever was in your family. If your family dynamics were good when everyone was stuck home all the time, things were good and maybe better. If you were struggling in your relationships at home, things got worse fast. And we saw the numbers once things opened back up and people were able to report, domestic abuse numbers went through the roof. Uh, different things like that. Marriages were falling apart. So we're being intentional about this. So this is called Home. We're doing it uh, 2.0 because we talked about home about three or four years ago. Uh, so we're going to talk about this today. Now, we're going to talk about marriage this week and the following week. Next Sunday is, uh, we have a missionary, but the following week. And then we're going to talk about uh, relationships. And then the last Sunday, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we're going to talk about family, <laughs> raising kids and all that good stuff. Now, some of you are single and you're thinking, well, I can just tone out. No, 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 no. If you ever hope to be married, pay attention. Because if you, no, I'm not saying you won't get married if you don't listen. But what I'm saying is, if you hope to be married, you start working on your marriage now before you're married. Married people, right? Because what you are now is what you're going to be when you're married times 100. And so please pay attention to that. And if you, have, if you say, well, I'm never going to be married, I can tone out. You're probably going to have friends who are going to be married, and they're going to come to you for advice because, you know, single people know everything about marriage, right? And uh, so that's a joke. Uh, but you do need to, to listen and pay attention. So there's a cute story Amy's going to share. So little Emily was, by the way, I am nervous today. So, you know, we did practice the stool thing today, so I knew what I was doing. But anyhow, I didn't fall off, so Josiah was proud of that. So, little Emily was at her very first wedding, and for the entire ceremony, she just gaped and watched everything that was going on. But when it was over, she asked her mom, why did that lady change her mind? The mom was like, what do you mean? And she said, well, she walked down the aisle with one man, but she left with another. <laughs> so, we, um, we're going to talk over the next uh, few weeks about marriage and about family, and so... We don't um, always have it all figured out. We don't know everything that we have to know, but um, we just pray that these next few weeks are exciting. <laughs> so we're not coming at you as experts. Uh, we've been married 19 years and uh, almost 20. Yeah, thanks. I know there are many of you here that are up in the 40s and 50s. You're thinking amateurs, right? But... <laughs> Uh, so we're not coming as experts. What we're going to do is share what the Bible says about marriage, and we're going to share some things we've learned from experts and some things we've just learned on our own the hard way. Uh, and so we come from two totally different backgrounds. Uh, my parents grew up in church, in the same church, in a small town, and then after they got married, they kind of quit going to church for a while, and they ended up getting divorced when I was 11. And they were both been remarried, and now they're both involved in church, which is totally a God thing. 
uh, Amy's family, actually, she grew up in church. Her dad was a deacon. And so when we got married, we were coming from totally different places in marriage. So we've had to learn a lot. Uh, so today we're going to talk about why marriage. Why did God create and institute marriage? So if you have a, a YouVersion app on your phone, uh, the notes are in there in the events page. If you're online, I put a link on the Facebook page for that and on our group page as well. Also, if you have your Bibles, physically, turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, we're going to see where God instituted marriage, and we're going to talk about why God instituted marriage. The verses will be on the screen as well. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 18. The Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. Men, all right? <laughs> I'm, help, I'm giving you free pointers here, guys. You can, you know, say amen, your wife will be excited. So the Lord said, it's not good for the man to be alone. Amen. Okay, thank you. Those are paying attention. I will make, now what is this word? A helper. I will make a helper who is just right for him. This is the New Living Translation. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names for all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals, but there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken from man. Now, here's the, the key right here, guys. If you underline in your Bibles, underline this in your app, highlight it. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into, what is that word? One. Now, the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. So we're going to look here at just a couple of principles. Why did God institute marriage? And the first one is for companionship. Companionship. It says it is not good for man to be alone. God did not create us, guys, to live in isolation. That's why this COVID thing has been so hard, because people who are not in families have been stuck, isolated. Uh, some families were stuck together in isolation because one had COVID and one didn't. And so we know several families have been isolated in the same house, which is even harder. You know, they had to yell across rooms and throw things at each other, to each other, not at each other, to each other, <laughs> probably. Uh, but we're supposed to be our spouse's companion. And guys, this is more than just about physical, like sex. This is about companionship. This is about being one another's best friend. That's what marriage is for. It's for companionship. And it requires work. So the second one is partnership. Genesis 2, uh, 18 and 20 says, I will make you a helper who is right just for him. He gave, us name, gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But there was still no helper just right for him. So we see that God, calls us, God called her to be a helper and a partner to her husband. A man is not made to rule over the woman, but we are each other's helpers, and, we will and we'll talk more about that later. But we, um, you know, the man and the wife together are a partnership. We always say, you know, the man is the head of the household, and um, that's one thing, like, with Rex that I've always said is, like, I love that he's the head of our household. He's the one that leads our family in devotions, and he leads us, but yet we're a partnership as a couple in decisions that we make and things that happen in our homes. And so um, that's what God just knew that we needed, that we needed to be able to have that helper and that partnership. And the third one we see here is godly offspring. <laughs> Some of you say, whoa, 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 now you're getting into my business a little bit here. Uh, 
Malachi chapter 2, verse 15 says, Has not God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be in your guard and don't be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. So when we have children in our marriage, and some of you are really good at that, you have lots of kids, some have fewer. Uh, but, sorry. When we have kids, guys, what is the home for? It's the hub of spiritual teaching. Our home is where we teach our kids about Christ. You know, the church helps. As a church, we're partners with you in that. Uh, the schools partner with you in teaching them, but the hub of spiritual instruction is in where? The home. The home. The, the man is called to be the priest of the home, and if you're a single mom, that's okay. You take over that role as well, but we're called to teach our kids to follow Christ in our home. Your grandkids. Guys, I'm here today because my grandparents prayed for me and taught me. When I was at their house, they poured into me because I didn't get that at home at that time. My grandparents prayed for me, and they drug me to church every single week when I was there. And they taught me. And that, I really, truly believe, is why I'm here today. So grandparents, you have a part in this as well. Uh, so it's for godly offspring. So it's also a picture of Christ in the church. So God gives us the, an, the perfect example of that. So Ephesians 5, 21 to 33 says... And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, that means to submit your, to your husbands as the Lord. For husbands is the head of his wife, and for a husband, not husbands. For a husband is the head of his wife, and Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. And the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husband in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands who love, a husband who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it. Just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of, as, and we are members of his body, and the scriptures say, a man leaves his wife and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are reunited into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So this is like the perfect example um, in the Bible of what a marriage should look like. Uh, marriage helps us get a grasp on the love that the, that the Lord has for us. So the way we love each other demonstrates our love for Christ, and the way Christ loves us demonstrates how we should be loving our spouses. So more than, um, more than anything, our marriage should show the world the relationship between Christ and his church. It's really hard for us to um, be an example to, uh, to love others and tell others about Christ if we can't love our own families and love our own spouses and respect and do that. So it's just the perfect example. And guys, I'll tell you, before I was a Christian, I watched people in marriage. I watched how Christians interacted with each other because I noticed it was different. You ever seen that before? 
you can often tell a Christian family because they interact differently. And right after I gave my heart to the Lord, I went on a trip with some friends of mine. We went down to Florida uh, for vacation. They invited me along. I was like, yeah, Florida, right? Better than Missouri. So I went with them. And guys, this is the first time I'd ever seen a family pray together. Every day that family got together and prayed for one another. And before they left on a trip, they prayed together. I had never seen that before. And so I'll tell you, the way that we interact with our family is an example of how Christ loves us. And it's one way that we can be examples to this world that we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to act differently. So, so those are some why. And so here's some principles that, that God puts in Scripture about marriage. And, and single people, hold on, we'll get to you in, in just a moment as well. Uh, but in Genesis 2, 24 and 25, like we read earlier, says this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Guys, there is so much in that little passage here. So when we get married, the first one is severance. i got to stand up. I can't sit that long. I, sorry, ADD. Um, so severance. What does it mean to sever? It means to cut, right? So when you get married, there's this amazing part in the marriage ceremony. I always love when I get to do weddings. This is one of my favorite parts, and I know when it's me, I'm going to collapse. But there's that moment where the father walks his daughter down to the front, and what does the pastor say? Who gives this woman to be married to this man? And the dad always says, his mother, her mother and I do. And then they have this little moment right there, and that's where you see these big, strong men go, because <laughs> they realize they're doing what? At that moment, they're severing that tie. That daughter is coming out from under the parent's authority and under the parents covering and protection into this young man's and that's where the guy gives death threats to the new husband you know they're <laughs> giving that look and so that's a principle when we when we become married we leave our parents home and we begin a new home with our spouse and this is one of the things we tell people over and over and over and over and over there is no out right when you get married, it's all in. You're there. You've left your mom and dad's home. Don't go back. And we've had friends that, you know, they got married and they'd have a fight and they'd go back to mom's house to sleep for the night. Is that healthy? No, 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 no. And so it's, it's severance. You're severed there. You can't go back. You have to strive to be one with your spouse. Okay, so the next one is per, um, permanence. So it's to, um, is joined to his wife. So like you said, you can't have that out. Don't have a reason. Don't have it e an easy way to leave. Make sure that you're, you work through things and that you do it wholeheartedly. Uh, marriage is meant to be permanent. We see through scripture that God's plan for marriage is permanent union. Malachi 2, 13 through 16 says, You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning, because he pays no attention to your offspring and does not accept them with pleasure. You cry out, Why don't the Lord accept my worship? I tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows that you and your wife made when you were young, but you have been unfaithful to her, though she were young. But you have been unfaithful to her, Though she remained your faithful partner, the woman of your, of your marriage vows, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife in body and in spirit? You are his. What he, uh, and what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to your wife in, of youth. For, 
For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. So we just want to also reach out. And, you know, if there's somebody here that's divorced, it doesn't mean that God doesn't accept you. We understand there are circumstances, there are things that happen. But we want these next few weeks of us talking about marriage and family to be an encouragement to you in the future if you are to marry again or to prepare yourself for how God wants you to be. So we don't want this to be a condemning type thing. We want it to be something that encourages you in your future. So it's supposed to be one uh, permanently. And then he talks about unity. He says they become one flesh. Now, those of you who are married, how hard was the first year of marriage? (laughs) Right? It's tough. We always tell when we're doing premarital counseling, hold on, the first year is hard. Uh, Why? Because you're taking two worlds and going, right? Two ways of doing laundry, two ways of making the bed, two ways of cooking, two ways of holiday celebrations. All that stuff is coming into one. And so the longer you're married, typically the easier it gets because you become what? One. And so unity is supposed to be not two people cohabitating a house. It's two people who become one. So that means whether it's your first marriage or your third marriage, you're supposed to become one with your spouse. And it's supposed to be a permanent thing. And so it's this daily exercise. There are some days being married is really easy and it's really pleasurable. There are other days where you just want to scream and run away and hide in the woods, right? But it's, if we're honest, so it's one, it's unity. And, you know, people say, well, you know, my wife or my husband and I, we're just not compatible. What is compatibility? It's something you build over time. Compatibility is not something you are, it's something you become. You build that. And then intimacy, it says that they were naked and they felt no shame. Intimacy is knowing someone. And it's that unity thing. The longer you're married, the more you know someone. And some of you have been married for 30 years and your spouse still surprises you, right? That's usually a good thing. Uh, But that means that we're still building unity. We're still building intimacy. So it's something that we build over time. So we're going to transition a little bit and talk about roles in the home. This is a little bit controversial sometimes but what does the bible say about what we do in the home um so there's this guy that that loves to fix stuff and he's not real good at it all the time (laughs) you know getting something apart is a lot easier than getting something back together and so he has all these projects so his he took his lawnmower apart to try to fix it and then he got frustrated and just left it in pieces in the garage and so uh, that night, his wife came in, and he had the vacuum cleaner, and he was trying to take it apart with a screwdriver. He's like, man, this thing just will not cooperate. He's like, why don't you take it in the garage and show you what you did to the lawnmower, <laughs> and then it'll cooperate. And so in the home, you know, men typically do one thing, women do the other, and guys, roles, we're not talking about jobs in the home. All right? We're not going to talk about who does laundry, who mows the yard, because that's different in every family. Well, what are the roles? And so Amy's going to talk about the role of wives in the home, and then I'll talk a little bit about the role of men. And we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to look there. It's kind of where this comes from, Ephesians chapter 5. So first, we're kind of hoping that on year 20 that we can agree on laundry and dishes, right? 
because there's a specific way to do laundry and a specific way to do dishes, right? So we're hoping on year 20 that we all agree on that one. So, no, I'm kidding, but not really, but, you know. <laughs> so the role of the wives, to submit to her husband. Submission doesn't mean slavery, but voluntarily giving our, yielding our rights to the will of our husband. And sometimes this isn't easy to do. A lot of times it's not easy because most of us women have our ideas in our head of how we want things to go and what we want it to look like, but we have to yield. And this is talking a lot just spiritually, just yielding to our husbands. And the word obey is never used in the Bible in conjunction with a woman to her husband. They only use it for children and slaves is the only time that it's used. She submits to her husband as an act of submission to the Lord. So as wives, when we submit to our husband, it is really us submitting to God and to the will of God. And we have to trust. That's why I think it's so important that you are not unequally yoked and that you have a spouse and a marriage that is godly on both parts. And you're equally yoked in that way because it's much easier to submit to the will of our husband when we know that our husband is seeking God for that direction and that will. And so it doesn't mean that we have to obey. It's not a do this, do that. But it's just submitting to what I believe that God is telling my husband. I just have to accept that that's, that's what I believe is what God wants for us. So Christ-like love of her husband makes it easier because she wants her happiness he wants, her, he wants her happiness. I'm like, wait a minute. He wants her happiness above his own. So we just believe that when our husbands speak something, whether it seems like what we want or what we don't want, we have to believe that he is looking out for our best interests and for what we, um, what we truly believe. And I think I, we've learned over the years that usually if I'm not sure, then by the time like it happens, we made a move one time that was kind of like that. Like Rex was like, I think this is what God's leading us to do. And I was a little bit hesitant, but once we did that, then I knew. And I just had to trust him that, yes, this is what God wanted. And then it showed to be exactly where God, what God wanted us to do. So verse 33 says that women must rep respect her hu their husbands. This is huge need for men. This is something we talk about in the his needs, her needs. Mm -hmm. We talk in, when we do his needs, her needs in premarital counseling, that respect is one of the hugest things that men want from their wives. So she read these verses earlier in Ephesians 5. Amy read this passage to us. There's one verse I really want to hit on, and it's verse 21. Paul's talking about uh, worship together, and he says, Further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then he goes on and says, Wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. But he also tells the man to submit to the wife. What does that mean? Well, as men, uh, we're supposed to submit to and love our wives. Submit to your wife and love your wife. That means putting her needs above your own. And really what we talk about is this ring that we wear. If you're married, a ring. Where does the ring start and where does it end? It doesn't, right? It just goes on and on and on, around and around and around. And so that's kind of the way marriage works. Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And that means respect, honor, love. And then 
the men, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for the Lord. And he says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So when a man loves his wife and puts her needs above his own, and a woman respects her husband and submits to him, what happens? You get this great cycle, right? My, I'm trying to put her needs above my own and love her the way Christ loves her. And she's trying to submit to my authority and my leadership and love me the way Christ loves me. And guess what? We're both putting each other's needs above our own. That takes selfishness out of the equation, doesn't it? And so it's not always easy, guys. Marriage is hard. Marriage is work. But when I try to put her needs above my own and love her like Christ loves the church, and then she loves me and respects me, it makes it easier for me to love her. And when I love her, it makes her easy to respect me. And, and you see how that works? It's this great cycle. And if you come into marriage thinking, well, this is going to be great. My wife's going to cook for me and clean the house and all this, and I'm going to sit in my chair. No, 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 no. you got to submit and love. And so how did Christ love the church? Sacrificially. He gave himself for us. Men, we are supposed to sacrifice our wants and needs for our family. There are times I want to go out and ride the motorcycle, but I know I need to mow the yard, right? Now I have a son that's old enough to mow the yard, so he can do some of that. <laughs> but it means we put our families and our spouse's needs above our own. And so we have to sacrificially do that. And there's this commentary I love. It's an old British commentary uh, called the Expositor's Bible Commentary. Or no, Pulpit Commentary. But the writer says this, the very saviorship of the church should find an analogy in the Christian husband. The husband should be the ever-vigilant, self-denying protector, guardian, and deliverer of his family. Though the saving power never comes from him, it comes from Christ. So a husband's reckless of these obligations virtually ceases to have any claim on the subjugation of his wife and the family. What's he saying? If I don't love her the way Christ loves her, I shouldn't expect her to respect me and to love me, right? Because I've given that up. And so that's an earned thing. So we have to love our spouses like we love ourselves, like Christ loves us. And so, so let's talk about single people, and then we'll be done for the day, all right? Now, there's a great, great, great book I want to recommend to you. If you're single, whether you're uh, uh, high, well, high school-ish, College age is really where it was written. If you're an adult and you're single, this is an incredible book, and it's in the notes there. It's called The Ten Commandments of Marriage by Ben Young and Sam Adams. This is an incredible book, and it's written to single adults to talk about how to date as an adult, how to date respectfully and responsibly. And so some of you guys are sitting here, and you're thinking, well, you know, uh, I'm a widow. I don't really care to get married again. That's cool. Listen to this because you might date down the road someday. Amy's great-grandma, she came to our house to visit one time. She was like 85, 86, and she had a new boyfriend. <laughs> we had, she is the godliest little woman in the world, but we had so much fun asking her about her dating life. It was, it was surreal. It was, but like, She's 102 now. Yeah, she's still kicking. Uh, it was kind of fun. I'm like, really? You're 85 and you're dating? She's like, why not? Exactly. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 11, Paul talks about people being married. He said, if you can't, he said, it's very, better to get married than to burn with lust, is what he says. But he said, not everybody should get married. Not everyone's called to get married. There are some of you who are single and you're just fine with that. That's cool. We're not pressuring you to get married. But if you feel like you want to be married, or if you're in high school, here's some great tips on getting, uh, on dating. And some of these are a little sharp and that's good 
So the first thing he talks about, you should have a life. Have a life outside your dating partner. When some people start dating, they are consumed with dating that person, right? They feel like they can't exist without that person. Is that healthy? No. In marriage, this is the same way. You've got to have hobbies outside your spouse. Your spouse cannot meet every single one of your needs. You need to hang out with the guys if you're a guy. You need to hang out with the girls if you're a girl. You need to have hobbies, you know, play golf, ride motorcycles, scrapbook, knit, whatever it is you enjoy doing, do something outside your spouse because if you try to get every need met by them, what are you going to do? You're going to drive them crazy and you're going to suck the life out of them. Your life comes from Christ and you need to have hobbies outside. So if you're dating, don't like <coughs> all over your boyfriend or girlfriend because you're going to drive them away. Uh, I've had guys come to me and they said, I'm dating this girl and she's crazy. She wants to be around me all the time and I don't know what to do. And I said, run because <laughs> you need to figure some things out. Um, he said, you should use your brain. Think with your, your brain and not just your emotions. Guys, when you're dating, make sure you're thinking things through because this is a huge decision. Huge decision. If you get married, all right, so, you know, there are people who have come to us and they said, I need some date or some marriage counseling. And we say, okay. And they say, well, I, I think I married this guy and I don't think he's the one for me, you know, and there's almost like this echo of the one, you know, that God has for me. If you get married, guess what? They're the one for you now because you made that decision. It's not something you take lightly. So when you're dating and when you're trying to line up and find this person that's going to be there for the rest of your life, you can jump in anytime. Uh, sorry, I, I get going. Uh, I'm really passionate about this. If you feel like this is someone you might want to marry, ask your friends what they think of them. Ask older people they respect to meet them and tell you what they think about them because sometimes they can see things that you don't. So use your brain. Amy talked about this in earlier. Don't be unequally yoked. Paul talks about don't be married to someone who's not a believer. And guys, this even goes to people who don't have the same convictions as you sometimes. Because sometimes you'll get married to someone and you think, well, you know, we'll work on that later. It's usually not going to work. You know, what they are is what they are. And God changes people and people mold and change. But if there's something that absolutely drives you crazy that they do, you know, they watch movies that you feel are inappropriate or they drink alcohol and you don't feel like that's appropriate, that's probably not going to change once you get married. So look at those things together. Well, and I think that's something like in Bible college that we learned very quickly is just because everybody came to Bible college and said that they were a Christian didn't mean that their walk was the same as what our walk necessarily was. And so that's where like the unequally yoked, like that sounds easy. Are you saved or not? I mean, that, that sounds, it's, that's easy. But really, it goes, like you said, that next step further, like, do your convictions match my convictions? Do, does your relationship with God match my relationship with God? Are we going to be able to grow together, or is there going to be tension over things that we don't agree on that are very important to us? So, yeah, that's always, I always tell people, like, take that the next step, not just, are you a Christian? That's not enough to ask in a relationship with somebody. Uh, the fourth one is take it slow. <laughs> if you're dating someone and they bring up the marriage word on the second date, <clears throat> yep. So <laughs> take it slow. We always tell people, don't hurry. You know, if you're going to be married to this person for the rest of your life, you got the rest of your life. So take it nice and slow. Get to know them. Watch the way they treat waiters and waitresses at restaurants because that shows their character. Watch the way they drive. Because you're going to be stuck with that the rest of your life. Um, you know, look at the different things they do. So take it slow. 
Um, set clear boundaries, physical and emotional. They use this word in this book I love. They call verbal puke. Don't pour your life story on them on the second date. Right? They don't need to know your deepest, darkest clown fears on the second date because you're going to freak them out. Okay? So take it slow. Set boundaries. Set physical boundaries. And we, we tell teenagers this all the time. You need to have clear boundaries and talk about that early on in the relationship. We're not going to go here physically. Set it now because in the moment, that boundary can move, right? So set it earlier. Save sex for marriage. When is marriage or when is sex intended? In marriage. And there are people that say, well, we're going to get married anyway. Cool. Wait. Because <laughs> once you do that early, it messes things up. If you have questions, come talk to us. We'll tell you all about it. Um, don't play house. What does play house mean? Don't move in together. And this is so huge in this culture today because people, the, the divorce numbers are going down in our culture, which is great. When we started looking at the numbers, you know why the divorce numbers are going down? People just aren't getting married. They live together. And what's the problem with that? And then people say, well, I want to know if I can live with them. If Amy had moved in with me before he got married, we never would have got married. She would have took off. She's like, this guy's a pig. Like, I don't want to live with that. I'm kidding. Um, but she saw my apartment before we were married. So I was the cleanest one out of the three. But um, three men that live there. But what you want to do is when you start living with someone before you're married, guess what happens? You don't have any commitment. It is so easy to take off and leave. Because there's no marriage there. There's no ceremony there. There's no in front of my friends and God. We make this commitment. And so I read one guy. He said, this is training for divorce. When you move in with someone before you're married, you're literally training for divorce because there's no commitment. Usually the bills are separate. There's no penalty if you move out and leave. And so I know, and I know it, in our brains it doesn't make sense because you're saying, well, I'm just sharing utilities and I'm sharing this and that. God's ways don't always make sense to us, but we know they're there for a reason. And God's word is very clear on not doing that until you're married. So, and then learn to fight fair. This is one of the biggest things, even if you're married, you have to learn to fight fair. What does that mean? When you have an argument, what do you argue about? That thing. Don't bring other stuff into it. If you're arguing about you didn't load the dishwasher right, don't say, well, you drove the car without oil last month. Ah, don't bring that into it. Or don't bring their parents into it. Or their siblings. Or the dog. I mean, don't bring that stuff into it. Fight about the one topic and don't interrupt each other. We, we actually role play this sometimes with people. Like, okay, let's have a practice argument here. Talk about the thing and nothing, nothing else. His favorite thing in premarital counseling, if you have ever done premarital counseling with us, his favorite thing is to cause fights in premarital counseling so that you know how to fight fair later. So his favorite thing is take this home, talk about it. Hopefully it causes a little fight so you can learn how to deal with it. Practice. Which we did have some friends that actually they were going through some things and they actually like what she would do is she would make a list of everything that was like bothering her. Basically she planned out the fight, you know, but she said that way we talked about everything we needed to, but she wouldn't get off subject. So it was kind of extreme, but it worked. And sometimes if you're going to talk about something, you have to say, okay, you don't say a word. I'm going to tell you my thing and then I'll shut up and then you tell me your thing. And a lot of times you're fighting about the same thing, but you don't even know it. And so make rules and say, we're going to stay on this. Uh, number eight or number nine, don't ignore the warning signs. If there is a red light flashing on your radar about this person, 
don't ignore it because you have ooey-gooey feelings for them, okay? If you see something or your friends see something, listen to that. Take that seriously because God might be trying to warn you about something, okay? There are people that we've told, hey, (laughs) there's something not right about this, and they go on and they get married, and guess what? There was something big that was hidden that they didn't find out about until after the marriage, and then it came out, and then it was too late, disaster happened like a nuclear bomb went off so understand if your friends are saying hey hey uh, listen even if you don't understand even if you don't agree sit back and think about it so if you see warning signs because here's the thing guys if something bothers you while you're dating guess what when you're married you're with them 24 7 that's going to bother you 10 times more once you're married and if it's some little thing you know they leave the toilet seat up okay that's fixable but if they don't respect you, it's not going to get better when you're married. If they treat other people poorly, it's not going to get better once you're married. If they can't handle finances, guess what? They're going to mess up their finances and yours. So learn these things before you get married. And then lastly, oh, one of my favorite, favorite things, I put it in the notes here. Burl Best is a guy that did our premarital counseling. He was the head of counseling for CBC. He had this line that has stuck with me my entire life. He said, the biggest misconception in marriage is a girl marries a guy thinking he'll change, and he won't. A guy marries a girl thinking she won't change, and she's going to. Women change over time. Guys, they lose hair, they get bigger middles, and that's about it. They're the same. Like, it's just how it goes. Women are going to change. And so just understand that. Women think, well, I can mold him into the guy I want him to be later. <laughs> it's not there. It's not there. Now, Christ can change people right? We've all been changed by Christ, but don't go into marriage planning on that because they have to be willing. And the last one, choose wisely. I remember a guy told me one time, the only thing worse than being single is being married to the wrong person. So if you're single and you're miserable, marrying the wrong person is going to make you more miserable than you were when you were single. So choose wisely because this is, this is it. Anything else? I didn't fall off my stool. (laughs) That's good. All right, worship team, come on up, please. I so appreciate Amy being willing to do this because I wanted you to get a woman's perspective in this. So if you're physically able, would you stand today? So Father, I just come today and I thank you for marriage. I thank you for the wonderful gift of marriage. The wonderful gift of our spouses or our future spouses. And Father, I just pray that today you would open our eyes to see how much you love us. Because as we talked about, marriage is a picture of how you love us. Marriage is a picture of how you sacrificed and gave up everything for the church. And it's a picture of how you gave up everything for us. And so Lord, if there's anyone here today, anyone watching online, and they don't have a relationship with you, I pray that you would speak to their hearts today and show them how much you love them, that you gave yourself for us so we could have life. And so if there's anyone here this morning say, you know, Pastor Riggs, I don't have a relationship with Christ. Or maybe at one point I did and I've walked away from that, I left that, and I want to make that right today. Would you just slip your hand up right where you're at? We want to pray with you. If you're watching at home, uh, we're all going to pray together today. We do this every Sunday. Uh, We're just going to say a prayer, and this is just simply you talking to the Lord, and if you pray this prayer, 
the Bible says that you become a new creation. So would you all pray this with me? Dear Jesus, thank you so much for your incredible love for me. Thank you for coming to this earth and dying in my place for all the wrongs I've done. So I admit that I've sinned, and I'm sorry for that. Please come into my life. Make me new. I turn from my sins, and I give myself to you. Help me to live for you every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to pray this morning, and I'm not going to single anyone out here. I know this could be embarrassing, but if you're here today and you're single and you said, man, I just need hope. <laughs> I need hope that God has someone out there that's going to love me the way that he loves me. Uh, we're going to pray for that today. If you're here today and you're married and you say, man, my marriage needs help, we're going to pray today as well for that. If you're here today and you say, my marriage is great, I'm going to say, awesome. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to pray for others. Right where you're at, we're not going to move and put hands on just because of the whole virus thing, but I'm going to ask you to pray for others' marriages, and I'm also going to pray for God to give you opportunities to pour into the lives of others who might need that help. So Father, I just pray for every single person here today in this room. I pray for all those watching. Thank you for the gift that marriage is. And I know it's not for everyone, but Lord, thank you for the gift of our spouse. And Lord, I just pray that today we would be the spouse that our spouse deserves. You would help us to love them as Christ loved the church. That men would love their wives sacrificially and wives would respect their husbands and love them. Father, I pray for those who are here today and they're single, maybe uh, by losing a spouse, maybe by divorce, maybe by never being married at all. But Father, I pray today that you would give them hope. That there is someone out there that will love them the way that you love them. And that they wouldn't settle. They wouldn't settle for false alternatives. They wouldn't settle for others. But Lord, help us to be the people you've called us to be in the meantime. And so what I just pray you would strengthen marriages all across this room, all across this area, because we know that's a great example of how you love others and how you love the church. And Father, I pray today you'd help us to be that example to others. In Jesus' name, amen.